I shared this a while back, but you know, I grew up in a wonderful home, but both of my parents grew up in alcoholic homes. So there was wreckage and violence and a lot of pain. My parents broke the cycle. Now there was still some wreckage because of it, but they broke the cycle. And if there was one thing that they offered to us, it was stability. Because that's what they never had. We can break the, you, you and I, we can break the cycles, amen? Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled, We Become What We Love, and was based on Genesis 29, 31-35. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. In 1914, the steamship Nantucket uh, was uh, traveling just off of the Virginia coast on, a, on an especially foggy day when in the midst of the dense fog, suddenly the steamship Monroe collided with the Nantucket. This crash led to the death of 41 people. So there was an inquiry. What happened? How could these two ships within... Uh, having on the verge of of kind of modern navigational systems, how could they crash into each other? In the midst of the inquiry, the Nantucket captain Edward Johnson shared that he learned that his compass deviated two degrees from true north. He confessed that he hadn't recalibrated his compass in too long, and because of that, it was two degrees off true north. Because of that, it led to a crash and the death of 41 people and trauma for so many more. The human heart is like a compass. We have like an internal uh, GPS system, a compass that, that navigates us toward what is beautiful and true and lovely and toward God. But what can happen is if we're not recalibrating our hearts, it can be easy for us to begin to stray from true north. And the appetites of our hearts, the longings of our lives can take us into places where we can shipwreck our lives. That's why we're in the midst of our Habits of the Heart sermon series. It might be easy for us to think that uh, idols were these ancient statues that those primitive people brought food to or bowed down and worship or made sacrifices to. But the idols of our culture are much more seductive And they can take our hearts out of calibration to where we can chase into things where in the midst of the fog of our lives, we can crash our lives. And so all of us have known people whose hearts went out of calibration. Maybe they were in an abusive relationship. It seemed that everyone could see that, but but the heart was out of calibration. They were chasing after love. Or maybe someone who becomes a workaholic because of the status or the things or the fix that we can get. And because of that, the heart's out of calibration and there's incredible wreckage. Maybe it's our need for attention and our hearts go out of calibration. We look for that attention wherever we possibly can. And because of that, we do whatever it takes to be noticed, to be validated, to be seen. We need to recalibrate our hearts. So this morning, we join me in Genesis chapter 29 as we look at how even love, uh, one, one of the most beautiful things of God's creation, one of the most beautiful aspects of God's character can also become for us an idol when it displaces God or when we search for love in the wrong places. Genesis chapter 29, will you join me those in the house? It's 
in the Blue Bibles on page 28. And whether we're in the house or uh, watching online uh, in your device, your Bible, Genesis chapter 29. Let's join together in verse 16. Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. Now, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and, oh, she was beautiful. Now, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for Rachel. As we meet Jacob once again in this episode, we learn that he is searching for love. He's longing for love. His heart's calibration has gone astray because, see, Jacob grew up with a father, Isaac, who loved his brother more than he did. He was kind of the unloved son, the unnoticed son. He knew that he was not loved by his family. And so out of this, he swindles his brother. And because of that, his father becomes even more angry. Jacob loses his inheritance, which now has huge ramifications because in the ancient world, your family lineage and your inheritance, that was your resume. So now his his resume has been destroyed. And in the midst of this, his brother now wants to kill him. So he flees. He'll never see the only person who really expressed love to him. Again, his mom. And so he flees. And in the midst of this, what happens is we find that he's just shattered. He's broken. He's struggling to find love. And so Jacob has this hole in his heart. Jacob is longing for love. He's searching for love. And now he finally finds, ah, if I could just have her. If I could just have the babe. If I can just have Rachel, then I know I'll be happy. See, his love reservoir is so empty, he'll do whatever it takes. If only I could have her. Isn't it easy for us to say that? If only I could have that person. If only I could get that education. If only I could have that job. If only I could live in that neighborhood. If only I could have this, then, then I'd be happy. And he's so vulnerable that he's willing to say, I'll work for seven years to get here. Now, in the ancient world, in the Near East at that time, this is about four to five times the bride price. Okay? He hasn't even negotiated. He just started in the worst case. I'll work seven. I'll pay four to five times. See, that's how vulnerable he's become. By the way, God doesn't condone what's happening about the bride price and some of the things happening. This is recorded so we can learn from this, from broken people like you and me as God covenants with them and journeys with them. I had a friend in high school, well, part of our friend circle, and and she was known in our school as a Christ follower. I wasn't a Christian then. She was known as a Christ follower. A lot of people respected her and other people derided her. And I remember uh, I came home from college one summer. I played baseball in in, in college, so I was playing in, in a summer league. And she was in the stands. I thought, oh. So, so we started chatting after the game. And I said, well, what brings you to, to the game? And she said to me, I'm sleeping with your center fielder. I thought, oh, tell me about that. And she said, well, <laughs> but not too much. I said, well, he lives just around the corner, right? And somehow we ended up starting to sleep together. She said, I, I, I really don't like him that much. And, and the sex really isn't, really isn't very good, but... But afterwards, he holds me. And when he holds me, I just feel so loved. 
So I just keep going back and going back. I couldn't really exegete what was happening at that time. But now I think it's obvious. There was a hole in her heart for love. And she was willing to accept counterfeit love, to feel love, to do whatever it took in order to feel love. And yet it was counterfeit because there was some real wreckage that would come uh, a few months later. What's the source of love for our lives? We can either search outside in and we can just search and search and search to try to meet the deepest longings of our hearts. But remember, every time we do that, our heart goes that much more out of calibration. We become that much more vulnerable. And the things of this world can never satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. But when God fills the reservoir of our hearts, see, God's love is unconditional. God doesn't say, I'll love you if you keep earning this salary. I'll love you if you perform this way. I'll love you if you become holy. I'll love you. No, God just says, I love you because you're my child. I gave my life on the cross for you. That's how much I love you. And so now we come to seven years later. Okay, so in just a couple of verses, seven years pass. Move down to verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. <laughs> my time is completed and I want to make love to her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. Now move down to verse 25. Here's the morning after. When morning came, there was Leah. See, Jacob is so desperate. Did you see his words? Give me my wife. I want to have sex with her. Now, imagine about 36 years ago when I sat down with Carolyn's father, who was a pastor, and I'd rehearsed this. Yeah, you know where this is going. I had rehearsed this. You know, it's like I had this good spiritual talk and all this stuff. And, and I said, you know what? I, I love your daughter. And we share a vision to serve Christ together. And give me my wife. I want to have sex with her. Okay? I don't think it goes over real well. But what this shows is just how much of an addict Jacob has become. And you see, one of the things we need to recognize is idols demand greater and greater and greater sacrifices. And when we feed the idol, even if it's something good that supplants God on the throne of our hearts, then that becomes a source of our identity, our love, our validation, our hopes. And just when we feed it, it demands more. And it will never satisfy because in the morning, we'll come up empty. And there will also be pain and wreckage in people's lives like for Leah. Well, now in verse 27, some uh, kind of negotiations continue. Uh, and, and Jacob is not a good negotiator, okay? In verse 27, we will give you the younger daughter in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did it. Now move down to verse 30. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Jacob keeps feeding the idol. The idol keeps demanding more. But true love continues to feel even further out of reach and there's even more wreckage in people's lives. And here's what's tragic. Did you notice the statement, he loved Rachel more than Leah? Do you remember Jacob's dad? Loved his brother more than Jacob. See, he's just taking the generational idol. He's just taking a generational sin. He's just taking generational brokenness. 
and he's just passing it along. And he's by default just living it out. Matter of fact, let's remember one of Jacob's sons would be, and we studied him last year, Joseph. And there was sibling rivalry, and Jacob loved Joseph more than the other brothers, so they sold him as a slave to Egypt. But I want to give us encouragement. We can break the cycle, whatever cycle it is. We have to be intentional. We have to call it out. We have to identify it. We have to ask for God's strength. We have to find a new identity. Give us the strength in Christ to break it. I know this. I'm testimony of this. I shared this a while back, but you know, I grew up in a wonderful home, but both of my parents grew up in alcoholic homes where there was wreckage and violence and a lot of pain. My parents broke the cycle. Now, there was still some wreckage because of it, but they broke the cycle. And if there's one thing my parents, and uh, yesterday would have been my father's 93rd birthday. I had a wonderful conversation with my mom, and we just remembered my dad, who came to faith at 67 years old. But um, I got thinking about it, my dad, and I totally forgot what, what we were even talking about because I love my dad. Generational sins. See, my parents broke the cycle. And if there was one thing that they offered to us, it was stability. Because that's what they never had. We can break the... You, you and I, we can break the cycles. Amen? But now we move to the most tragic casualty in this whole sad episode. And that's the ugly, in the eyes of the culture, the ugly sister who wasn't wanted by her father and who wasn't loved by her husband. Look what happens when she starts to have children. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And so she named him Reuben and, and she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me. If I can just give a son to my husband, I know he'll love me. Well, and then she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon. And again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me. Her heart is out of calibration. And because of that, she's just hoping she can do something. She can perform or achieve or do enough somehow to be loved. And she's fueling the love idol too. You know, if only. And once again, what is it for us? If only I could have this. And it might be a good pursuit. It might be the education that God's calling us to. It might be the person God is calling us to share life with. It, it might be beautiful that we excel in our career. But rather than enjoying the gifts of God and having the source of our love and identity, God, when those things become the source of our identity, our hearts, the compass begins to go out of calibration and we try to find life in, in those things and they begin to own us. We start feeding the idol and we wake up someday and we say, man, how did I get here? See, it might be that as we realize, you know, the deepest desires of my heart, the world can't sacrifice, can't satisfy. We can either keep chasing them or we can realize I was created for another source to fully satisfy the love reservoir of my heart. But here's something amazing. In verse 35, Leah now is really the only person in this passage who really breaks 
through to break the cycle and realize that God's the lover of her soul. Verse 35. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, this time she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. She stopped trying to earn love. She stopped feeding the idol. She stopped making sacrifices to the idol. She had found that she does have a perfect father. Might not have been on earth, but she has a perfect heavenly father. She realized that although her husband might not love her, she has a spiritual husband. You know, throughout the pages of Scripture, especially the Hebrew Scriptures, over and over, there's this portrait of God saying, I'm like your husband. You're like my bride. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom, and the church is the bride of Christ. She found the faithful husband and the love of a husband that she couldn't experience on earth. Now let's also notice a footnote here. Every passage, every place in Scripture is Christocentric. You know, everywhere in Scripture somehow points to Messiah and somehow points to God's uh, redemptive mission. The, the, the blood of Christ is spackled on all the pages of Scripture if we have eyes to see. And notice who the child is. The child is Judah. Do you remember one of the titles for Jesus? Lion of the tribe of Judah. See, Jesus was of the lineage of Judah. Here's what's so powerful about this. Here's the woman who, who longed for love. She finally finds the source of love in her life. And God chooses, this is amazing, God chooses the woman no one loved, the woman who felt rejected, to become one of the mothers of Messiah. And there's a message there. Because Messiah has come for those who are searching for love. Searching for meaning in life. Hungering for hope. Needing redemption. Recognizing I, I need forgiveness in my soul. There's got to be more to life than just what's happening in this world. And Messiah came into the world to sacrifice his life to show us who God is so we can be God's beloved children. And God then doesn't wait at the finish line saying, I hope you perform well enough to make it. Instead, we're living in response to the grace that's been poured out. We're now growing up into the new identity God has already given to us. And by the Holy Spirit planted within us, God says, here, let me take your hand. Let's walk together through this life. I'll guide you. Oh, and when you struggle, I'll lift you up through repentance and pour out my grace and guide you into the future. See, God's mission is not advanced out of beauty or power or wealth because then the gospel would be elitist and it'd be out of our reach. And you know, this is so beautifully embodied in the humility and the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. So here's what this really comes down to. Let's stop searching for saviors in the world. And instead, let's come home to the Savior of our souls. And every day, it's a battle. It's a battle for me. It'll be a battle for us the rest of our lives. Recalibrate our hearts to have God on the throne and enjoy the gifts of God, but not allow them to displace God on the thrones, the throne of our hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, 
please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast.